Volume 2, Chapter 1 of A Simple Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. A Simple Story by Elizabeth Inchbald. Volume 2, Chapter 1. When Miss Milner arrived at Bath, she thought it was the most altered place she had ever seen. She was mistaken. It was herself that was changed. The walks were melancholy, the company insipid, the ballroom fatiguing, for she had left behind all that could charm or please her. Though she found herself much less happy than when she was at Bath before, yet she felt that she would not even to enjoy all that past happiness be again reduced to the being she was at that period thus does the lover consider the extinction of his passion with the same horror as the libertine looks upon annihilation the one would rather live hereafter though in all the tortures described as constituting his future state than cease to exist so there are no tortures which a lover would not suffer rather than cease to love. In the wide prospect of sadness before her, Miss Milner's fancy caught hold of the only comfort which presented itself, and this, faint as it was, in the total absence of every other, her imagination painted to her as excessive. The comfort was a letter from Miss Woodley, a letter in which the subject of her love would most assuredly be mentioned, and in whatever terms it would still be the means of delight. A letter arrived. She devoured it with her eyes. The postmark denoting from whence it came, the name of Milner Lodge written on the top, were all sources of pleasure, and she read slowly every line it contained, to procrastinate the pleasing expectation she enjoyed till she should arrive at the name of Dora Forth. At last her impatient eye caught the word, three lines beyond the place she was reading. Irresistibly she skipped over those lines and fixed on the point to which she was attracted. Miss Woodley was cautious in her indulgence. She made the slightest mention of Dora Forth, saying only, he was extremely concerned and even dejected at the little hope there was of his cousin, Lord Elmwood's recovery. Short and trivial as this passage was, it was still more important to Miss Milner than any other in the letter. She read it again and again, considered and reflected upon it. Dejected, thought she, what does that word exactly mean? Did I ever see Mr. Dorforth dejected? How, I wonder, does he look in that state? Thus did she muse, while the cause of his dejection, though a most serious one, and pathetically described by Miss Woodley, scarce arrested her attention once. She ran over with haste the account of Lord Elmwood's state of health. She certainly pitied him while she thought of him, but she did not think of him long. To die was a hard fate for a young nobleman just in possession of his immense fortune, and on the eve of marriage with a beautiful young woman. But Miss Milner thought that an abode in heaven might be still better than all this, and she had no doubt but his lordship would go thither. 
The forlorn state of Miss Fenton ought to have been a subject for compassion, but she knew that lady had a resignation to bear any lot with patience, and that a trial of her fortitude might be more flattering to her vanity than to be Countess of Elmwood. In a word, she saw no one's misfortunes equal to her own, because she saw no one so little able to bear misfortune. She replied to Miss Woodley's letter, and dwelt very long on that subject which her friend had passed over lightly. This was another indulgence, and this epistolary intercourse was now the only enjoyment she possessed. From Bath she paid several visits with Lady Luncham. All were alike tedious and melancholy. But her guardian wrote her, and though it was a topic of sorrow the letter gave her joy, the sentiments it expressed were merely commonplace, yet she valued them as the dearest effusions of friendship and affection. And her hands trembled, and her heart beat with rapture while she wrote the answer, though she knew it would not be received by him with one emotion like those which she experienced. In her second letter to Miss Woodley, she prayed like a person insane to be taken home from confinement, and like a lunatic protested in sensible language she had no disorder. But her friend replied, that very declaration proves its violence, and she assured her nothing less than placing her affections elsewhere should induce her to believe but that she was incurable. The third letter from Milner Lodge brought the news of Lord Elmwood's death. Miss Woodley was exceedingly affected by this event, and said little else on any other subject. Miss Milner was shocked when she read the words, He is dead, and instantly thought, How transient are all sublunary things! Within a few years I shall be dead, and how happy will it then be! if I have resisted every temptation to the alluring pleasures of this life. The happiness of a peaceful death occupied her contemplation for near an hour, but at length every virtuous and pious sentiment this meditation inspired served but to remind her of the many sentences she had heard from her guardian's lips upon the same subject. Her thoughts were again fixed upon him, and she could think of nothing besides. In a short time after this, her health became impaired from the indisposition of her mind. She languished and was once in imminent danger. During a slight delirium of her fever, Miss Woodley's name and her guardian's were incessantly repeated. Lady Luncombe sent them immediate word of this, and they both hastened to Bath, and arrived there just as the violence and danger of her disorder had ceased. As soon as she became perfectly recollected, her first care, knowing the frailty of her heart, was to inquire what she had uttered while delirious. Miss Woodley, who was by her bedside, begged her not to be alarmed on that account, and assured her she knew from all her attendants that she had only spoken with a friendly remembrance, as was really the case, of those persons who were dear to her. She wished to know whether her guardian was come to see her, but she had not the courage to ask before her friend, and she in her turn was afraid by the too sudden mention of his name to discompose her. Her maid, however, after some little time, entered the chamber and whispered Miss Woodley. Miss Milner asked 
inquisitively what she said. The maid replied softly, Lord Elmward, madam, wishes to come and see you for a few moments, if you will allow him. At this reply, Miss Milner stared wildly. I thought, said she, I thought Lord Elmwood had been dead. Are my senses disordered still? No, my dear, answered Miss Woodley. It is the present Lord Elmwood who wishes to see you. He whom you left ill when you came hither is dead. And who is the present Lord Elmwood, she asked. Miss Woodley, after a sure hesitation, replied, Your guardian. "'And so he is,' cried Miss Milner. "'He is the next heir. I had forgot. "'But is it possible that he is here?' "'Yes,' returned Miss Woodley, with a grave voice and manner, "'to moderate that glow of satisfaction "'which for a moment sparkled even in her languid eye, "'and blushed over her pallid countenance. "'Yes, as he heard you were ill, "'he thought it right to come and see you.' "'He is very good,' she answered, "'and the tears started in her eyes.' "'Would you please to see his lordship?' asked her maid. "'Not yet, not yet,' she replied. "'Let me recollect myself first. And she looked with a timid doubt upon her friend to ask if it was proper. Miss Woodley could hardly support this humble reference to her judgment from the wan face of the poor invalid, and taking her by the hand whispered, "'You shall do what you please.' In a few minutes Lord Elmwood was introduced." To those who sincerely love, every change of situation or circumstances in the object beloved appears an advantage. So the acquisition of a title and estate was, in Miss Milner's eye, an inestimable advantage to her guardian, not on account of their real value, but that any change, instead of diminishing her passion, would have served only to increase it, even a change to the utmost poverty. When he entered, the sight of him seemed to be too much for her, and after the first glance she turned her head away. The sound of his voice encouraged her to look once more, and then she riveted her eyes upon him. "'It is impossible, my dear Miss Milner,' he gently whispered, "'to say what joy I feel that your disorder has subsided. But though it was impossible to say, it was possible to look what he felt,' and his looks expressed his feelings. In the zeal of those sensations he laid hold of her hand and held it between his. This he did not himself know, but she did. "'You have prayed for me, my lord, I make no doubt,' said she, and smiled as if thanking him for those prayers. "'Fervently, ardently,' returned he, and the fervency with which he had prayed spoke in every feature." But I am a Protestant, you know, and if I had died such, do you believe I should have gone to heaven? Most assuredly, that would not have prevented you. But Mr. Sanford does not think so. He must, for he means to go there himself. To keep her guardian with her, Miss Milner seemed inclined to converse, but her solicitous friend gave Lord Elmwood a look, which implied that it might be injurious to her and he retired. They had only one more interview before he left the place at which Miss Milner was capable of sitting up. He was with her, however, but a very short time. Some necessary concerns relative to his late kinsman's affairs, calling him in haste to London. 
Miss Woodley continued with her friend till she saw her entirely reinstated in her health, during which time her guardian was frequently the subject of their private conversation, and upon those occasions Miss Milner has sometimes brought Miss Woodley to acknowledge that could Mr. Doriforth have possibly foreseen the early death of the last Lord Elmwood, it had been more for the honour of his religion, and that ancient title which would now after him become extinct, if he had preferred marriage vows to those of celibacy. End of chapter 1, volume 2, recording by Joyce Martin.